Welcome to another edition of Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. I am the aforementioned Ravi Lula, and today we are going to get into some Christmas movies. And now you're probably asking yourself, you know, for a sports-ish podcast, this hasn't been very sportsy lately, and that's a fair assessment. Now, just in the interest of full disclosure, I do quite a bit of radio work on the side, and during basketball season specifically, I do uh, quite a bit of radio work, and most of my sportsiness has been taken up by the radio in the last uh, in the last few weeks to month, and you know, so the podcast is kind of where I come to just let my hair down, if you will, and have a good time talking about things that I think are fun and interesting. So um, that's kind of what you're getting right now. And if something incredibly important comes up, I'll be sure to address it in terms of uh, sports. But other than that, probably just going to have some fun until until uh, something interesting happens. Now, this would be a case where obviously Nebraska and Creighton playing basketball tomorrow and that would normally be a big thing for me to talk about, but again, I have an hour and a half pregame show on sixteen twenty before the game, so probably going to get all of my uh, Nebraska Creighton talk out there. So if you want to tune in, that's uh, eleven thirty to one o'clock on Saturday, heading up right before the Nebraska versus Creighton game. So that's uh, why this podcast hasn't been terribly sports heavy lately, but I think it's a fun time to talk about lots of other things as well. And this time of year, we're officially in the week after Thanksgiving, and we're in the first week of December, so we are squarely in the Christmas season, which means, of course, Christmas movies nonstop. Now, I mentioned this a little bit before, my family kind of has an odd fascination with Hallmark Christmas movies, which I don't typically get into, but I will say they they do have a way of just sucking you in if they're on, and it's really hard to explain. But I uh, won't be including any Hallmark Christmas movies at this point, mostly because I don't know the names of any of them, and even though they might be some better than some of the movies on this list. For instance, uh, a movie that I came across on Netflix while uh, finishing up a different Christmas movie uh, a Netflix original, A Christmas Prince, and it uh, it's ridiculous. I haven't watched it, but the trailer is basically two made-up countries, and it's right around Christmas time, and like a queen is pregnant, I guess, and if they don't have a treaty with the other made-up country by Christmas at midnight or something, then it's basically the baby is cursed somehow I don't know it seemed like nonsense um but so you know the Hallmark movies are probably better than that but again because I don't know the names of any of them uh they're not gonna make the list so some things that are gonna make the list I'm sure you're familiar with most of the classics whether it's it's a wonderful life or uh elf or you know, I don't know, off the top of my head, I'll have to look at the list here as we get going, but those will probably all be on there. I will say, 
I'm not going to do the thing that just because there's Christmas in the movie, I'm going to consider it a Christmas movie. That's not how I roll here. So sorry to my buddy Scott. Die Hard's not going to be on the list. Not a Christmas movie. Um, Also, to be fair, I don't think I've seen Die Hard in 20 years. So even if it is a Christmas movie, I don't remember. I don't remember Christmas being a central plot of the film. Uh, So that or one of my favorite movies, Mean Girls, there is a Christmas scene in that movie. And that doesn't make the list. It's not a movie centered around Christmas. So things like that, not going to be on the list. These are movies in which Christmas plays a central plot in the film. And these are just some of the ones I like. Some of the ones I think are terrible that are rather popular. Um, basically Esquire put out a list of the 40 best Christmas movies and I just picked some highlights and lowlights I thought of the list like A Christmas Prince for example which clocks in at number 50 and just wanted to go over some of my thoughts with those so without any further ado I already got us started with A Christmas Prince let's move right along uh Just Friends with Ryan Reynolds and Amy Smart I don't immediately think of this as a Christmas movie, but it centers around Ryan Reynolds' character going back home for Christmas um, and kind of <clears throat> falling back in love with his old high school crush. So it is really pretty close to the uh, it is really pretty close to the plot of the movie. So th- what I don't like about this movie is it makes me feel really old now because Chris is the name of, of Ryan Reynolds' character, goes back to his hometown 10 years after he graduates high school and has never seen this girl that he supposedly loves in that 10 years. I had my 10-year high school reunion like four years ago, so that makes me feel super duper old. So don't love that about the movie. Also, I thought it was really funny at the time. It doesn't really hold up that well for me. Um... Some of the, I don't know, some of the stuff is just really like cringy and awkward and it just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't hold up for me. But that, uh, I do remember really liking it at the time and and it just is not something that I was able to, uh, able to enjoy upon further viewings as I got older. Um, another one on here, Christmas with the Cranks. That's a pretty bad movie. Uh, basically, it centers around the it centers around the uh, this family who's goes all out every year for Christmas, and then their daughter's not going to come home for Christmas, and so they decide to go on like a tropical vacation, and then last minute they uh, the daughter decides to come home for Christmas, and the parents decide to try and throw together a normal Christmas at the last minute so that she has everything she's always has at Christmas and you know typical hijinks ensue part of the fun of this list is going to be I'm not going back to rewatch any of these I'm just going on the last time I've watched them so they uh Yeah, some of these descriptions I might be giving you might not even be correct, but this is my recollection of the movie, and I think that's what you're here for. So, uh, that's not a very good movie, but another 
strangely enough. It's almost like Kevin Costner and baseball movies, Tim Allen and Christmas movies. Uh, this movie, I think, actually holds up pretty well, is The Santa Claus. And if you're not familiar with The Santa Claus, then I'm sorry something's gone horribly wrong in your life. But The Santa Claus is a movie in which uh, Tim Allen does not believe in Santa Claus anymore because he's an adult. His child obviously does. Uh, the real Santa Claus falls off the roof of Tim Allen's house, and the <clears throat> uh, they go outside. They find him. He puts the coat on. By putting the coat on, he assumes the responsibilities of Santa Claus, and weight gain and beard growing ensue, and Tim Allen becomes Santa Claus. And it actually it holds up really well. I have seen this movie within the last few years, and... Despite there being a lot of jokes about, you know, Tim Allen's weight once he becomes, you know, the, the big jolly Santa Claus, it, uh, which doesn't age super well, the movie as a whole, I think, is very rewatchable and, uh, and very, um, very solid overall in terms of Christmas movie and just, uh, you know, it was made in 1994, so there's not that many 25-year-old movies that hold up that well. Also, this is a side note about the, I guess, fat-shaming thing that they do in the movie, but not that it was ever okay or that things are ever okay, but it's hard to go back and legislate things in a time where we didn't consider things as closely. So while I will bring up some of those things, unless it's something just really egregious and horrible... I probably, it's probably not enough to bother me, or at least not enough to um, dissuade me from watching the movie, and again, unless it's just so bad, I can't stand it, but uh, moving on to How the Grinch Stole Christmas, now, I'm very specifically doing the Jim Carrey version here, and I gotta be honest, I rewatched this one tonight, because my wife loves Christmas movies, and that's cool, so we rewatched re it. And we couldn't find Elf on anywhere. And so, which I don't think it streams, which is a, a crime. You should at least buy it for like two months a year, Netflix, and, and stream it. But anyway, uh, so I did not love this movie. Jim Carrey is, I get that he's supposed to be gross, but I just don't enjoy watching his character that much. And he's Jim, like he just really shot, despite the makeup and the green fuzziness, it just, he really is Jim. He's like peak Jim Carrey. And I don't mean that in a good way. I mean like peak neurotic eccentric Jim Carrey, which is kind of my least favorite version of him. If I had to pick a version of him, I liked the most, it would be like Truman show Jim Carrey, not the mask Jim Carrey. And this is a lot closer to the mask Jim Carrey. Um, so I don't love that, but the, <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. I there's not a lot of redeeming qualities in terms of I like the dog Max a lot, which is probably not shocking to you. I don't like that Jim Carrey's not that nice to the dog for a lot of the movie. Uh but yeah, the Who's are just kind of a lot of them are kind of crappy people, and I don't love that. It's just a lot of the movie is not that fun for me to watch. Um so I, I kind of out on uh, kind of out on how the Grinch stole Christmas, frankly. Um, but, you know, that's 
my wife does like that one a lot, so that one I'm probably going to have to continue watching. Now, one that is on the list, but is... Or is not on the list, excuse me, but is a... I think it counts as a Christmas movie, is... Well, you know, this probably actually falls in the category where Christmas is not central to the plot, but I wanted to bring it up, is You've Got Mail, where there's a pretty good amount of the movie kind of centered around Christmas time, but it doesn't really qualify as a Christmas movie. I do actually like that movie a lot, though, uh, for whatever reason. There's really good music in that movie. Also, it's actually pretty funny if you kind of get past the... I mean, it's funny for different reasons because of a look at the internet in like 1996 or whenever it came out, but I also have a lot of nostalgia around that movie because uh, my sister used to watch it all the time, and there was a time in my life where I most I would basically like anything that my sister liked. Um, that also explains a lot of my fascination with Newsies, besides the fact that I was not allowed to watch a lot of stuff with fighting in it when I was a kid, and so... The, like, Newsies dance fighting scenes were pretty much the closest I could get to, <laughs> to violence. And every young boy has a small appetite for violence. And so Newsies weirdly satisfied that for me. But between Newsies and You've Got Mail, I owe that up to my uh, sister Amber for kind of weirdly uh, making me like those movies forever, despite the fact that they might not be good movies. And I don't... I like them, but... See, and that's the thing with, especially Christmas movies, but whether it's Christmas movies or I kind of got on this tangent about uh, about Thanksgiving food too, is I feel like a lot of the things that we like around holidays are strictly based in nostalgia and we stop analyzing whether they're actually good or not. And listen, I don't have a problem with traditions or doing things for the sake of nostalgia, but I also would like to recognize, hey, if this is you know, if this is a bad movie, like, just understand, okay, this is a bad movie, we're gonna watch it anyway, because we like it, and we like the way it makes us feel, but I just like acknowledging things for what they are, and if it's a bad movie that you like because of nostalgia, okay, go ahead and watch the bad movie, but don't try and convince me it's a good movie, you know? Anyway, that was a weird tangent, <laughs> but uh, another one on the list, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the ancient version that's like claymation or stop motion, or I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, it is, you know, the classic Rudolph story about kind of the underdog bullied, uh, reindeer that comes and saves the day, and listen, it's an okay movie for kids, especially, kind of like the next one, the Charlie Brown, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, I don't particularly enjoy watching them anymore, but if you got kids around or something, that's probably something worth watching, and, and I appreciate that. Now, one of the, I'm just, I'm just moving along now, uh, <laughs> one movie that I think actually does hold up pretty well is uh, Home Alone. I liked this movie when I was a kid, and now I will say there are a lot of plot holes, and this is definitely one of those movies where everything is solved if anyone has a cell phone. So it doesn't age real poorly in like the technological sense, but it weirdly, <laughs> I don't know if you were like me as a kid, 
well, and as an adult, really, uh, you know, I don't want to say I'm afraid of everything, but there's a certain level of anxiety just about life in general. And I felt very empowered as a child about this movie. Like, hey, it doesn't matter if people are coming after me. I can take care of myself. Now, as an adult, I realize this could, kid would have been in horrible, horrible trouble and probably murdered at some point by the two robbers invading his house. But uh, as a child, I was like, yeah, I can take out these robbers. No big deal. Let's do this. And yeah, so I enjoyed the movie for that sense. Uh, the obviously shaving scene where, you know, he slaps the aftershave on his face. Iconic. I did that numerous times as a child with my with my uh, fake razor that I had, which didn't last for very long because I had to move to a real razor at the age of 12, and that's not a joke. But the, uh, the some very iconic, uh, iconic things in that in Home Alone. So uh, that that I actually enjoy. I, I haven't watched it in a few years, but I do enjoy that movie. A movie I don't enjoy that I think holds up really poorly because it's a bad movie is a Christmas story. And I know I'm going to take a lot of flack for that. I just don't think it's good. It's, I mean, there's a lot of like bullying and just bad decisions. It's just not a good movie. I don't understand what the enjoyable part of this movie is to watch. And I don't understand why it plays for a 24 hour loop on like TBS every Christmas, it's just a bad movie, and I don't know, it's just, I've never understood it, and you know, it's not just because my ex-wife and her family loved this movie, I hated it then, and I didn't understand their obsession with it, I've just never enjoyed the movie, listen, if the kid wants to wear like a pink bunny outfit, like go for it, you do you man, like, don't worry about it. Also, don't give kids BB guns. It's a terrible decision. That's never going to go well. I don't know. I'm out on a Christmas story. A movie that I... You know, I have mixed feelings about this one. Uh, it's probably one of the most classic Christmas movies of all time. Uh, it's A Wonderful Life. I mean, it's it's a very dark movie. I mean, the movie is basically about trying to talk this guy out of committing suicide around the holidays. So, like, that's super dark. Um, there's, I don't know, there's parts of this movie that I like and that I that hold up for me pretty well, but I, I particularly, I kind of enjoy the parts where, um, you know, Jimmy Stewart's kind of convincing, trying to convince his, his, uh, his wife to go out on their first date or whatever with him, but I'll be honest, I haven't seen this movie in several years. I don't know how well that ages. Uh, <laughs> a lot of things like that don't age super well, but I don't know. It's it's a it's a lot longer than I remember too. It's a very long movie, and I don't know. There's other things I would rather watch than It's a Wonderful Life for sure, and uh, that you know doesn't. That's probably a bad sign if you're just like, eh, I would I would rather watch something else. Now, we're down to basically my favorite two Christmas movies of all time. And that's The Muppet Christmas Carol. We'll start with that one. Now, 
It's the story of the Christmas Carol, basically told with Muppets. And I'll be honest, there's some parts of this movie that are pretty rough in terms of they're just sad. I mean, there's a lot of the a Christmas Carol that's just a sad. It's just a sad story, and they really, I mean, they really get you there. So it's kind of a it's not like a real upbeat Christmas movie for a lot of it, and I think that's I think that's my issue with the Grinch as well, is there's basically you're you've got this whole movie leading up to a redemption at the end, and the redemption's awesome, but the whole movie leading up to it's kind of a downer. And so I really have to be in the right like frame of mind to watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. But if you've never watched it, it's a phenomenal movie. Like, I genuinely mean that. It's a very good movie. And it's really funny. There's really funny parts to it. Um, Despite the overall tone being kind of down for a lot of the movie. Um, I will say the ghosts freaked me out as a kid. Uh, So if you've got, like, young children, you might want to watch it first to make sure they're cool with it. But kids nowadays watch stuff that I, you know, couldn't... (laughs) I can still barely deal with. So who knows? They might be fine. But the, yeah, the Muppet Christmas Carol is probably the best telling of the Christmas Carol on film. And I'm not even kidding. It's it's just an incredibly well done movie, sticks to the book incredibly well, but with kind of the fun lightheartedness of a Muppet movie. I would, I highly recommend it. I can't recommend it enough. And then my last one. The best Christmas movie in my mind is Elf. And I would also argue this is one of Will Ferrell's best Christmas movies as well. Or not best Christmas, just best movies. Just one of Will Ferrell's best movies. He's got the kind of like childlike joy and goofiness that Will Ferrell can bring without the over-the-top arrogance that he gets into in... Like, listen, Anchorman was funny. But then he played that character for like 10 years straight. And so it's nice seeing him in kind of a different role. Still having that kind, that energy that he has as some of those other characters, but having it focused in a different direction. um, I really like that part of it. Also, just one of the most quotable movies, certainly one of the most quotable Christmas movies, has some iconic scenes and has actually like a really good cast. It's got James Caan in it and then a young Zoe Deschanel um, and then obviously Will Ferrell. Uh, classic, classic Christmas movie in my mind and, and one of my favorites. Um, actually, my favorite Christmas movie. So that is my uh, kind of my rundown of classic or I guess classic of uh, my rundown of Christmas movies that you should and should not watch in the next I don't know, three weeks going up to the big day. Now, I will also give you, because I've talked pretty extensively about my dislike for Christmas music in general, I will give you the exhaustive uh, list of... I will give you the exhaustive list of Christmas songs that I am okay with. And there's there's a grand total of five. So I, w- I would encourage that you look all five of these up. Number one 
is Happy Xmas War is Over by The Beatles. Or it might just be by John Lennon, but if you look up The Beatles, you're fine. You'll find it. Very good song. I really enjoy that. Uh, staying on the Beatles theme, although this is just Paul McCartney. Wonderful Christmas Time. Really enjoy that song. I really enjoy Christmas Lights by Coldplay. I really enjoy Zat You Santa Claus by Louis Armstrong. Now, there's been a lot of covers, whether it's Harry Connick Jr., whether it's Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Uh, Buster Pondexter has a pretty uh, popular version of that song, but Louis Armstrong is the original on that one. So have to recommend you listen to that one first. And then last but not least, probably have never heard of this song, but let me encourage you to look up Ay 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 It's Christmas by Ricky Martin. Incredible Christmas song. I'm just saying. Those are the five. Happy Christmas. War is over. Wonderful Christmas time. Christmas lights. I, 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 it's Christmas. And Zat You, Santa Claus. There's five. There's five Christmas songs that are acceptable. Use them sparingly. Otherwise, you'll get sick of them. But those are my five Christmas songs that uh, are acceptable to play between now and Christmas time. So that is my uh, Christmas media review for you. Let's take a uh, quick break here, and we'll get to some more chit-chat and nonsense on the other side. Thank you to Fruitful Design for supporting the Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula podcast. Fruitful Design helps businesses and nonprofits be, well, fruitful with top-shelf design and strategy. Whether you need a logo, website, or anything else to promote your business, which I needed all of, Fruitful Design can help you grow. They helped me set up my website for Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula and we're quick, friendly, and professional. Check Fruitful out online at www.fruitful.design. Once again, that's www.fruitful.design. All right, welcome back to Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. And, okay, so I'm going to get a little sportsy on you here. Yesterday, uh, December 5th, was a very important anniversary for me. And for many people who believe in and care about the things that I do. And that is, it was the anniversary of Clay Thompson dropping 60 points in just 29 minutes against the... Uh, Indiana Pacers, and that was on December 5th, 2016, and listen, 60 points in 29 minutes, that's incredible, right? He had 40 in the first half, he had, he didn't even play the fourth quarter, and I bring this up, if you, I love Clay Thompson, first of all, as a basketball player, as a human being, as someone who loves his dog, and, and seemingly not a lot else, I love Clay Thompson. If you haven't watched the Claytheism video uh, from the Ringer, just Google that right now, and you'll understand my strange devotion to Clay Thompson. All right, so I just want to go over, because it was an anniversary of, as I like to call it, one of the high holy days of Claytheism, 
yesterday. I want to go over some of my favorite things, not only about this game, but of a couple other of his all-time great games as well. Now, before we get into the specifics, I have a I have a way of describing Clay Thompson and you know, a lot of the reason I'm doing this is just because I miss him. He's probably not going to play basketball this season and it bums me out. And I don't have him in my life right now. I don't have Steph Curry in my life right now and it just bums me out. Um and so I just I like going back and watching YouTube videos of some of his games and just being in total and complete awe of what he's capable of. So we'll go back. We'll start with this 60-point game. That's the third anniversary of yesterday. And give you some of the fun facts from, from that game. First of all, 60 points in 29 minutes. That is the most points at the time was the most points, and I believe it still is, ever scored for a player who played less than 30 minutes. Now, James Harden recently set the record for fewest shots to achieve 60 points, but I believe he played more than 30 minutes. So uh, that is, it broke the uh, fastest to, I believe it broke the fastest to 60 mark uh, by a couple minutes, or three, almost three and a half minutes, that Kobe Bryant dropped 62 on the Mavericks in, uh, back in 2005 in, in about 32, just under 33 minutes. Um, George Gervin had scored 63 in 1978 in 33 minutes, but it, uh, yeah, so 60 points in 29 minutes, that's incredible in and of itself, right? So here's some incredible, interesting facts about that specific game because there were some wild ones. Number one, Clay Thompson had the ball in his hands for less than 90 seconds to score his 60 points. It was 88 seconds and some change. Think about that. He scored 60 points, barely touching the basketball. All right. But my favorite stat was that he scored 60 points while only dribbling 11 times in the entire game. There is hardly a possession that goes by where James Harden doesn't dribble more than that every single possession of the game. Now listen, there's different kinds of efficiency, right? There's efficiency in numbers and there's like efficiency in movement. Clay Thompson is the epitome uh, epitome of efficiency in movement in a basketball game. And this is probably just personal preference. I hate just watching a guy dribble for 20 seconds and then either get a shot, get fouled, whatever the case may be. I'm not denying the talent that it takes to do what James Harden does. I just don't like watching it. You know what I like watching? I like watching Clay Thompson score 60 points while having the ball for less than a minute and a half. That's incredible. The 11 dribbles is basically the... Well, there's a high blood sugar. Thank you for letting me know that. Dexcom G6. Little shout out there. Um, <laughs> it's incredible to me. The only dribbling the ball 11 times. That is probably the pinnacle of the Warriors in their ball movement offense was this achievement right here. Uh, so I appreciate that for a lot of reasons. Um, so that is, those were two of my favorite numbers from that game. Now, 
the last stat from this game, and maybe the most impressive, even though it's not necessarily my favorite, is the fact that Thompson was scoring almost as fast as Wilt Chamberlain did in his 100-point game. And basically what that means is Clay Thompson was scoring 2.07 points per minute while Wilt scored 2.08 points per minute in scoring 100 points in a game. And Bill Simmons did this shortly after this game, did a podcast of trying to decide, I can't remember if it was a podcast or an article, I think it was a podcast, trying to decide who would have the best shot at matching Wilt's 100-point game. And the consensus was that it would probably never happen again. But his number one candidate, or one of his top candidates, was Clay Thompson, partially because of this game, because if he just, if Clay Thompson gets on a heater, there's no, there's nothing you can do to stop him. There's just not. And that's one of the things I love the most about Clay Thompson, because as much as I love Steph Curry, and Steph Curry, in my opinion, is the greatest shooter of all time, Clay Thompson's red hot, I think, burns hotter than Steph Curry's. Now, Steph Curry's more likely to carry something like that throughout an entire game in terms of a consistency of playmaking and scoring and shooting and everything like that. But, and obviously he can create offense in a way that Klay Thompson can't really. But when Klay Thompson gets hot, I don't think there's a player in the history of the world who gets hotter than Klay Thompson. That dude, when he goes on a heater, is just unstoppable. And if he's able to extend that for more than, I mean, in this game, if they had, if the Pacers had been close enough in that game in 2016, he had a pretty good shot at 80, the way he was cooking that game. And that kind of brings me to some of the other, uh, two, the other two of my favorite Clay Thompson moments. And that first one is when he scored 37 points in a quarter, right? So to, which is the NBA record for most points in a quarter, he went 13 for 13 in that quarter, made nine three-pointers in that quarter. This is part of the reason that Klay Thompson, A, is my nominee for the guy that gets hottest and stays hottest of anybody of all time. I don't, again, I'm a Curry apologist, and I believe Curry is the best shooter of all time. But no one on the planet, when they are on fire, burns hotter than Clay Thompson. I like to call it when Clay goes supernova, and nobody supernovas like Clay. That's just how it is. Okay, so my next favorite Clay game is it's probably actually my favorite Clay game. Well, see, it's hard to say. My favorite Clay game is probably the 60 points in 29 minutes because of the 11 dribbles thing. That makes me really, really happy. But in January of 2015, he scored 37 points in a quarter against the Kings. And again, 13 for 13 in the quarter, didn't miss in the quarter, nine three-pointers in the quarter, 37 total points in the quarter. And go watch the YouTube video of it because the <laughs> some of the shots he's making by the end 
are terrible shots. I mean, he's making the most ridiculous shots at one point because they start to try and lock up on him, right? And he is like he doesn't he barely can see the hoop in some of these. There's one in the corner where I don't even think he saw the rim at any point and lets it fly and it's just an incredible display. It's you can find it on YouTube. It's definitely worth your time. I'm probably going to go watch it again after I after I talk about this. It's one of my favorite things that's ever happened on a basketball court. Just an incredible display of shooting ability. And I love it so, so very much. Now, the last one is a little bittersweet for me uh, because it came at the expense of my guy Steph Curry. But the last one is... Uh, happened in October of last year where Clay Thompson broke the NBA record for three-pointers in a game, which I think has since been tied. But at 52 points on 14 for 24 shooting from three, broke the uh, NBA record for three-pointers in a game, tied the NBA record for three-pointers and a half at 10, and set the uh, broke Steph Curry's record of 13 threes in a game, which he set in 2016. And the, yeah, I mean, just the fact that, I mean, 14 three-pointers in a game is absurd. And I I would be shocked, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, I guess, if one of these, either Curry or Clay, broke that, knocked through with 16 in a game at, or excuse me, 15 three-pointers in a game, maybe 16, who knows? Uh, I mean, would it <laughs> would it really surprise you if one of these guys went like 16 for 25 in a game or something like that? I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all. But those are my favorite Clay Thompson games. I miss Clay Thompson. I miss watching him play basketball. I miss watching him shoot a basketball. I miss Steph Curry. I miss the fun Warriors. That's all. I'm, you know, it's <laughs> it's been a hard NBA season for me with all of basically all of my favorite players not playing except Luka Doncic who's been incredible and a lone bright spot in the NBA season for me. But that is uh that's all I had on Klay Thompson. Just wanted to acknowledge some of his amazing feats since we were uh on an anniversary of one of his greatest games yesterday. And just wanted to make sure that was brought to your attention because you hear these scoring outbursts of James Harden and everything like that. And listen, they're impressive, but just don't forget, don't forget some of these incredible things that, that Clay Thompson has done and that James Harden, despite all of his numbers, has not touched. So uh, that's all I have for you today. Um, we will be coming up again with Star Wars. Well, we'll have Meathead Monday first. Excuse me. We'll have Meathead Monday, and we'll have Star Wars Wednesday for you coming up. That will be The Force Awakens. We are so very close to the release of Rise of Skywalker. I can't wait. I'm very excited. I'm loving each week of The Mandalorian, which we will cover in Star Wars Wednesday once that series is complete. Uh, which is uh, should be the week after the Rise of Skywalker. So we will keep up on that. I know I've been teasing an announcement on the podcast 
Uh, should have that. Should have more for you on that here pretty soon. I'm working on some things, so hopefully we'll be getting that going for you here pretty soon as well and have a little bit more information on that. Uh, but don't forget to uh, tune in tomorrow to 1620 The Zone or 1620thezone.com to listen to the uh, pregame show that I'll be doing before Nebraska and Creighton. That comes on at 11.30 and will go for until 1 o'clock right before the game, uh, which starts at 1.30. So tune in for that. Also make sure you subscribe, rate, and review to Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. If you've got friends that you think would like this, please tell them and say, hey, go check out this guy. It's a, you know, it's fun to listen to. He's kind of goofy, but uh, it's, a, it's a good entertaining time. So uh, invite your friends, share it with your friends if you think they'd enjoy it. But make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. You can follow me on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. You can find me on Twitter, at R-A Lula. That's the Instagram as well. That's R-A-L-U-L-L-A. And then, as always, you can find it on the website, RavilulaRadio.com. I very much appreciate your support, and we'll talk to you soon.